Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right. I appreciate that lackluster applause. Um, That's very nice. Um, Hey, so I forgot to do something a couple of weeks ago. Uh, So it's a business type thing. I was supposed to do it at our business meeting. And as I was teaching the foundations class that afternoon, telling them about when we do this, I realized I'd missed it that morning. So... Uh, We have to elect our nominating committee. And so if you're an official member of Sand Hills Community Church, meaning you finished foundations, you've some way been recognized, probably digitally, uh, that you're a member of Sand Hills, um, you need to vote for nominating committee members. The nominating committee selects uh, our elders, our secretary, and our treasurer for our governing board. And and so we need that to be elected. And so the way this works is a five-person committee. Two members are selected by our uh, current governing board, um, our elders, and then um, the other two are selected by the congregation, and the fifth one's always me, and so, uh, or the senior leader, whoever that is. So there's five people. So I need you to vote. You'll be getting an email later today if you're an official member, unless you've blocked us, which some have. Um, And (laughs) what we can do too is you can also go to our website, and if you go to the bottom of our website, it'll say vote here for nominating committee. And so you can do that later, sandhillschurch.org, go to the bottom of that. Now we can move on. Okay, if you, if you have your Bibles handy, open up to Mark 16. This is our last Sunday in the book of Mark. Um, I mean, we'll probably reference it from here on out, but uh, Mark 16, uh, finishing the last part of the book of Mark. Uh, so as you're turning there, the Bible is, it is unique as a book in, in the sense that, like when you finish the book of Mark, as we finish the book of Mark today, like there's a, there's a sense in which this book never ends. There's a sense in which the Bible never ends because God is still doing his work in the world today. In other words, nobody's writing extra books of the Bible. Nobody's put more words in the Bible. But the idea is that the way we live it out, we're still writing kind of new passages, so to speak, of history as God carries this out. Uh, In fact, I would say it this way, that that when it comes to the Bible, the Bible's like uh, the never-ending story, the never-ending story. Now, the curse for me in writing those words when I was preparing for this message is that I'm a child of the 80s, and in 1984, a movie came out called The NeverEnding Story. And if you're sitting there going like, oh, I, I vaguely remember that, or oh, I'll go look that up on Amazon Prime, um, I'm not sure it ages well, I'll be honest with you. You're going to go back and look at that and go, Whew, I, don't, I don't know. And then uh, it's got this song in there called The NeverEnding Story, which just showed up in a TV show I was watching where characters sang it to each other, and now it's stuck in my head. Like, that's the worst thing about some of these things is they get in there. And so, like, and here's even worse. It's stuck in my head in my voice. (laughs) And I can't sing. And so all I hear over and over is me singing never-ending story. And so I want you to go look it up, and I want you to listen to it so you too will bear my my curse and my shame. So there you go. Turn around. (laughs) Look at what you see. I mean, like... That's what I hear. I mean, it's a nightmare. It's just a a nightmare. And if you're thinking, like, that was horrible, yeah, I'm living it. It's just horrible. All right. But let us go to the next chapter in this never-ending story, the next chapter. So... Uh, as we're studying uh, Mark here, uh, we're going to dig into what we're going to call the next chapter, and that is, it's the next chapter of Mark, kind of, but it's what's, what's the next chapter after Mark as we live it out? That's what we want to talk about. And so, now, tied into this, before we hit all this, tied into this is a verse I encouraged you to memorize last week. So, first of all, who remembers the verse I encouraged you to memorize, just by way of reference point? What was the verse? Romans 1.16. Did anybody here memorize it this last week? All right. 
All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again because I'm sure some of you are embarrassed and you didn't want to put your hands up. Did anybody memorize it last week? Let me see hands of those who did. Okay, thank you. Uh, even if you're lying, I appreciate the pity raise. Um, that is so nice. So here's the thing I do know. Like, if you memorize this first, it's going to work great for you because this is the and we did we, uh, yeah, we put it up here. Go ahead and put it up here. This is Romans 1.16. Now, I memorized it in a different version, so my words are a little different. But it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, all right? And so this, this was like Paul's thing, was like he just made sure as he lived his life, he was not ashamed to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And this idea is that's how we need to live. We need to be those people who are not ashamed. And so when I'm asking you, how are you living life? I wanna hear from you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, and then in what I memorized, then for the Gentile. And so, uh, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read this together. I'm gonna get it in your brain a little bit anyway. All right, so we're gonna read it together. Public reading's hard, because we all read at a different pace. So we're just gonna figure it out as we go. Are you ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right, again, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right, if you just remember the first part, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, and you can take the four off there if you want, just not like to hear a church who will proclaim boldly, not just in here, but out there, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, amen, amen. This world needs this voice right now. And it's because of that, that and how God worked in my life and the life of a number of other people here at this church that we even have this church here today. I'll share more about that before we're done today, but, but this is a verse that we want to live out. So now we go to the, the book of Mark. So Mark 16, starting in verse 14. Mark 16, starting in verse 14. Uh, I said this last week, so let me catch up for those who are new. Um, this, is, this is one of the only books in the Bible where we have this, where we're not sure that these last verses were actually written by the original author. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means we're not sure Mark actually wrote these words. Um, most scholars, I think, would tell you that Mark finished his book at, at verse 8. And, and then a Christian who came along later probably read this and was like, you know, Mark, you didn't close well. Like, if you read this through to the end of Mark 16, verse 8, you're going to be like, that story doesn't end right. And so probably some godly person came along later and was like, well, let me just wrap it up for somebody who's going to read this later so they can get the end of the story. Uh, so let's read it. I'll read all the way through. We'll start in verse 14. So afterward, he, Jesus, appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So when the Lord Jesus, after he'd spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God... And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. All right, so here we are uh, in this. So one question might be, like, what do I do with this? If you're saying, like, if you're saying you're not sure this is canon, like maybe, maybe this isn't of Mark, 
Well, the good news about the end of the book of Mark is almost all this stuff is found elsewhere in Scripture. So it's not like any of this violates Scripture. You can go through there and go, well, actually, this appears here, and this appears there, and this appears a few times in this other place. Um, and so that's, that's one thing. I do want to draw your attention, though, to verse 18. Go back to verse 18 if you have it. Mark 16, verse 18. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. All right, so you've heard of snake-handling churches, right? Yeah. All right, let's bring out the boxes. Uh, no, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, that would be funny. You know, if I'd have thought about it, I would have had some people bring out boxes with holes in them. That would have been fun, but anyway. All right, so, uh, but this actually ha has happened historically, still happens in the U.S. My understanding is there's still like 100 churches that are snake handling churches to this day. And uh, most of them are in the Appalachia area, uh, rural areas. And um, that is not an appropriate application of this verse. Can I, can I just uh, point out to you? Um, this is not a command to handle serpents as though in some way it glorifies God. Uh, it doesn't. And, and, the, and the comment made here that they will pick up serpents with their hands and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. If you pick up a poisonous snake, it will hurt you. I just, just, just for clarity, I'm not violating scripture here. And the, the command was not to do it. The idea was there will be times when perhaps somebody might do this and God will deliver them. As we saw uh, when Paul was shipwrecked on this island of Malta, and you see it in Acts 28, and he's gathering firewood and a, a, a viper comes out, bites him, and the people are like, oh, judgment of, of the gods, you know, and then he shakes it off into the fire and they just keep waiting for him to die and he doesn't die. Well, that's because God protected his life. So... God protected Paul's life. Let's not assume he's going to protect yours, just in case, right? Just let's use, uh, but if you're thinking, no, I think I'm going to give this a shot, uh, I'm going to remind you of Luke chapter 4, verse 12, which says, Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So let's not test the Lord in this. Let's just apply wisdom. All right, that being said, I don't think you'd do it anyway. All right, but what, here's what we do believe. As we study this, one of the references being made here is the appearances of Jesus. Now, we absolutely believe that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to numerous people, including a verse I shared last week or a chapter from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. It's a great place where we find out that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to numerous people, including at one point to more than 500 at one time. So, like, there were hundreds of people that saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And so the, the idea that he was alive and well, like was well known among the church in the early days. So here's what I would do then. When you read something like this, I, I've already told you, I encourage you to read other gospels that reflect the same kind of stuff as you're reading this. The gospels are all kind of parallel. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn back to uh, a passage that we know was written by the original author. So let's go to Matthew, all right? So to study Mark 16, we're going to go to Matthew. So go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to go to some of my favorite verses of all time, which I've preached numerous times here at Sandhills. Uh, the Great Commission is found in Matthew 28. Now, we'll start in verse 16. So go to Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Give you a second to get there. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. And uh, I'll read for us a couple of verses, and then we'll, we'll move forward. All right, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. The 11 disciples. How many disciples were there supposed to be? Who's dropped off at this point? Judas, Judas Iscariot. Now, make sure you say Iscariot. There's two Judases. I already told you, if you don't get this right, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be really messed up. Because you're going to meet this guy Judas, who was one of the 12, and you're going to be like, how did you get here? And he'll be like, I'm the other one. So that's how that works. So we know that there's a, but did you know this? Did you know that Judas Iscariot was replaced? Do you know the name of the guy that replaced him? Oh, man. Who, who said Matthias? Like, I would, give you a I would give you a prize, but I don't have a prize. But if I had one, I would give it to you. Good, good job. And others were thinking it, right? So, all right. 
So here we are. Uh, Matthew, uh, Matthias is going to replace him. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now, went to Galilee because that's where Jesus told them to go. In Mark, we saw this. Mark chapter 14, we'll put it up here. Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 28. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And so before Jesus even died, he told his disciples, I'm going to meet you in Galilee when I come back from the dead. Now, we also know that the disciples did not think he was going to rise from the dead. Nobody was standing outside that tomb waiting for him to walk out. Not, not a single disciple. The only disciples there were the women who wanted to cover a stinking, rotting corpse with spices so it wouldn't smell that bad. Like that's all that was, nobody was ready for him to rise. But he did rise. Uh, it was proclaimed. An angel uh, told it to the women. The men ran to the two, like all this stuff. Now everybody knows Jesus has gone ahead to Galilee. That's where they're going to meet him. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, this is where you find out he actually told them a place in Galilee, which I guess is helpful. You know, it would be helpful. If you're like, I, I am going to rise from the dead. I'll meet you in Charlotte. I. Uh, well, like, where? And she, that's a big place, you know? I'm in Galilee. Like, where in Galilee? So apparently he told them a specific place. I think it's helpful. So it uh, tells them to go there, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. All right, so what does this mean that some doubted? That they worshiped him, but some doubted. So here's, here's what I think is going on. This is a plausible understanding, I think, of this. One of the things I've noticed in Scripture, and you will too, especially if you read the Gospels side by side, and you can actually get a book that puts them together called A Harmony of the Gospels, and A Harmony of the Gospels puts all the, the, the stories as they're going along that connect with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John side by side so you can see where they are. And when you read that, you'll see there, there are details that others include that some don't. And when you start to put these together, one of the things you realize is there's more people at these events than you originally thought. Because you read one, and it's like, these two people were here. And you're like, oh, it says these three people were here. Oh, these five people were here. So this is one of those events where I think um, that's going on. You don't just have the 11 here, probably. You have a lot more people here. Because certainly the women knew that he was going to be there. And there were a lot of women disciples. Uh, and there would have been other male followers of Christ. So it's very likely there are more people there than just these. And I think that one of the things that takes me there particularly is uh, it says that some doubted. Like, what were they, like, doubted? Like, doubted the resurrected Christ? How could that be? And the reason I would ask how would that be is because by this point, Jesus has already appeared to his disciples at least twice. So he's appeared, and, and to Peter, it looks like three times. Uh, doubting Thomas just got one shot. But, but the idea is they've already seen him. So there's, some, there's no reason to doubt, uh, especially if you're a follower. So I don't think this is of the 11 that we're talking about. I think this might be of some other people that were there, and maybe this is new for them seeing Jesus for the first time. And I would think, too, the first time you saw Jesus, and we saw this with the disciples, if Jesus died and he says he's going to come back and then he does, it would still blow your mind. Because how many people have you ever seen come back from the dead? Right? It's pretty limited, right? So, like, your immediate thought would be, is this really... Are you, really, are you, like, I think that would just be normal. Even if you saw me as I am now, I die, they put me in the ground, a week later I show up, hey, how you doing? Like, you'd be like, what? You know, so that's probably what's going on. That's a little bit of a mess here. So I think probably doubting are some of, maybe, the other disciples that would be there. Uh, and then I would encourage you in this. If you have ever, and I know you have, if you have ever struggled at times with your faith, struggled at times to believe, struggled at times to think that God cared about you, heard you, saw you, struggled to feel like God was literally involved in your life, you're not alone. 
even the closest disciples to Jesus struggled with the same stuff. And I would tell you, and so would other Christians here who've been Christians for years, we would tell you this, that the, the journey to, to a deep faith, a deep trust with the Lord, it, it's full of bumps. Uh, it's not a smooth path. If you ever meet somebody of, of legitimately mature, deep faith, that was earned, not given. Uh, you know, I mean, it may have started with a gift from God. It is earned through a long walk with the Lord. And you have to go through a lot of this. But doubt is not something that should ever make you think that God doesn't care or love and is with you. Uh, doubt is a part of how uh, we follow the Lord. But I would say this. You take the doubt, you turn it into pursuit and study and application, and then you'll find that it matures from doubt into faith. So just a little, little thought there. All right. Uh, verse 18. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. So here would be a question when you're reading this. Is that a new thing? <laughs> all authority is given. Uh, didn't he have some authority beforehand? So yeah, I don't, I don't think he's saying this is brand new. Like I didn't have authority before, now I do. No, I think, I think very clearly he had authority before. Um, but I think that for, for him really in this moment, it's more of an affirmation slash confirmation, maybe in front of the disciples. Or, or, or maybe like a, you do remember, right, that all authority has been given to me. And I think the phrasing even is really interesting too, that all, all authority has been given to me. Like, like the father ha has offered this to the son, which means then that the son is in a perpetual state of submission to the father, which reminds me that there's just an order in the way the Lord has set up the universe and even the way the Godhead, as we call it, uh, functions. That there are various roles, that the, that the son operates in submission to the Father. I, I, there's just something there that I think for us is a, a great perspective, that we too uh, walk in, in the model that Christ has shown for us. Different, of course, for Jesus, who's part of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, but I would say this, he's no longer shackled to the restrictions of the flesh uh, as he once had limited himself while on earth. And, and there is this idea that he is now proclaiming himself, if you will, uh, the master of the universe, and of course, being a child of the 80s, I immediately thought of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I don't, it's all these, all these things come into my mind. So, uh, and I don't know that I would call Jesus He-Man, but it kind of works. So, um, but here he is, he's, he's the man. And then, um, and then as I'm thinking about this too, like we think about the universe, and I don't know if you've ever studied in the universe, the, the universe is amazing. And whether you're looking at God's creation through what he's created beyond our atmosphere or down to the micro level of what he's created here on earth, I mean, it is just amazing what God has created. It's absolutely amazing. And yet of all of this amazing stuff that God has done, what the master of the universe thinks is the most important of all that God has done is mankind. And the most important thing we can ever do is introduce our fellow man to their creator. That's the most important thing we could ever do. And so that's what I love uh, as, as we see this played out here, that, that now this is our call. And that's what he's calling them to. With this authority, he's going to call them to direct their attention uh, to, to mankind, to reaching mankind. So then he, he says this in verse 19. So go, therefore, and make disciples. So, and I love this transition. It's like this. Okay, guys, remember this. I've been given all authority. You remember that, right? I've been given all authority. And nobody's going to doubt. You just come back from the dead. Absolutely, you have all authority. So I've been given all authority. Therefore, because I have all authority, now I want you to do something. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. 
And, and when you read this passage, and I know we're not done here, but the passage here, this, this, the imperative here, the command here is to go and to make disciples. Make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. If nothing else in your life, that's the one thing you're supposed to do. That should be your bucket list thing. Like if I, if I ask you things you want to accomplish in life, and you're listing, you know, you want to get married, and you want to have this job, and, you know, I'm thinking, like in my own life, still yet have some things I want to fulfill. Uh, I don't know if I should say I still want to kiss my wife on the top of the Eiffel Tower. I don't know. It's weird. It's just in my head. Um, that's something I want to do. Uh, I want to own a C1 Corvette at some point. I really want to do that. Um, and I want to make disciples. Absolutely. Not necessarily in that order. And, but, but this is my thought. Like, that's something that you're thinking. And I know if you're not careful, you think this. Oh, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not like a churchy person that way. Or like, I didn't go to Bible college, and I just work here. Or I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Or like, like stop with the just, just, just. You're supposed to make disciples. And you can make them anywhere. And if you're like, like you don't know what to do, have a baby. Uh, yeah, yeah, like that's how you can make them yourself. You just produce them, you know? That's another way uh, to do it. Uh, you can do it that way. It's kind of a discount method. It, like it works. And so this is one of those things that, that we have been called to that we can be a part of and Jesus expects us to be a part of. So I, I encourage you to do that. And he says this, so go therefore make disciples, which is, that's the command, of all nations, of all nations. And what's really curious here is when Jesus did his ministry, it was much more localized. It was much more, it was like a small area. He, I mean, he didn't go far outside of his main area, but now he's talking to them and he's like, okay, look, at, I did all my stuff here. Here's what I want for you. I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to reach uh, beyond this area. I want you to go to the farthest city from here and I want you to tell them about me. And I, here's the thing, that command has not vanished with the writing of this 2,000 years ago. That is a command that is to us this day. And, and if I could even add, there are people sitting here right now, young and old, and this is the plan that God has for you, that you would stop doing what you're doing now and you would get fully on board with making disciples to the ends of the earth. And we've seen it happen even with people in our own congregation. We've got people serving now around the world who are just normal folks sitting here and one day God's like, I've been talking to you. And they quit their jobs, and they're now serving overseas. It's amazing where, where, that what God has done in this. Um, and I would say this too, like for some who would say, like, yeah, that's not that's not really a part of my world. Okay, I get that. Not for everybody, perhaps, but I'll tell you what is for everybody. I think is also short-term missions, which we're cranking back up now because we're past hopefully some of this COVID stuff. Um, but the idea is now that I think you should go on short-term missions. And, I, and when I say you, I mean everybody. Like when we, our kids were growing up, and parents, let me tell you this, you should be taking your kids on short-term mission projects. Um, like when we, our kids were growing up, we just said, as soon as they get to the age where our student ministry is taking them overseas, like not only are they going on that trip, we're going with them. Because I wanted to see my kids experience legitimate poverty, uh, other cultures, um, other languages, uh, and, and yet see people who love Jesus just as much as we do in another context and see how they worship in their churches and meet their pastors. And like, there's, like I just, I felt I was so healthy for my kids. Um, so I want you to do that too. By the way, side note, that's a part of making disciples. Making disciples is part of training. Um, and I love this too. Here's what's fun for me too, if you think about this. The people in Africa and South America and China and South Korea and like pick a country all over the world. Christians in those countries are doing the same thing. They're sitting around talking about how do we reach people. And the idea that there are people sitting in Africa right now going, uh, yeah, I'm going to be a full-time uh, full missionary, and I'm going to go to the U.S. and try to win people for Jesus. And I love that idea uh, because we're sitting here thinking about how to go to Africa, right? And you might sit there and think, well, why do that? Why not want the Africans just stay there, reach their people? We'll just stay here and reach our people. Like, it doesn't work that way. 
I know that there are Africans who will come here with the gospel on their lips, proclaim it, and get a better response from Americans than we would if we went to those same people. And the same way when we go there, the same kind of thing. Not, not exclusively, not all the time, but for sure. That absolutely happens. But, but the idea is this. If God mobilizes his church worldwide, I mean, the impact that we can make collectively, unbelievable. So this is what we've been called to. Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. Now, if you're sitting here saying, well, okay, well, what is a disciple? What am I shooting for? Uh, I think a basic definition, a small, like you could think about like just a learner, like, you know, a, a disciple's a learner, one who learns. But I think even more than that, I, I would say uh, maybe a good description is one who sits at the feet of the teacher. That's what I would say a disciple is, one who sits at the feet of the teacher. And I'm, I mean Jesus as the teacher. And so my thing is this. We want to, all of us, we want to take people who are far from God, and we want to connect them to Jesus so the two of them can develop a deep, deep relationship where Jesus takes them deep in their walk and they can, can meet with him and learn about him and grow in their faith. And then as they do that, they become good students. And a good student we know does this. They hear, they learn, they respond, they obey. Like the idea is this, is that I want to help you connect with Jesus. And then as I'm helping you connect with Jesus, of course, I'm going to take you to his word because this is a gift God has given us. And then as they begin to understand this, it begins to change how they're doing life. Like I'm reading this, it, it, I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. This just changes how I view people. It changes how I view myself. It changes how I view God. And you're like, all right, all right. That's what we're shooting for. Like you sitting at the feet of the master. That's what I want. And so we want to be a part of this making disciples, putting people together. Now, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, a famous uh, pastor from years ago, says this. Whenever the church has done this gospel proclamation, it has prospered. When it has failed to do this, it has stagnated and dried up. Why? Because discipleship demands evangelism. It is an aspect of our obedience as Christ followers, and Jesus blesses obedience. If we're following Jesus, we will go to others for whom he died. A disobedient church is one that does not evangelize, begins to dry up, or even dies. So we have to stay active in this. So we go to people, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, which is how God's revealed himself, the Triune Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons, or, or you, have, uh, you have one God expressing himself in three persons. It's a weird thing. People have been studying it for years, um, but it's a biblical truth. And then we bring them not just to the Lord, but we also bring them into the community of the church. And the church is so important. Like, I don't know how to overemphasize how important the church is, or to tell you how desperately you need the church, because I'm not sure you'd maybe believe me, uh, and you have to believe me in this. And I'll, I'll tell you, I see this all the time, and particularly too, uh, for me, it's been more recent as I've been working in our car ministry here. So Good Samaritan Auto Care, which I'm a part of, several other uh, men and women are too, so thank you for those who serve in that ministry. And uh, we're constantly meeting people who are desperately in need, which is great, that's why we do the ministry. Um, but, but when I talked to him, and I remember this lady this last week, she just broke my heart. I'm talking to her, she is like, She's lost her job. She's on disability. She lives in a small trailer. Uh, everything's a struggle for her. She, she doesn't have enough of anything. She's got all these needs. And she, you talk to her, just a broken person. And so, of course, I'm doing what you'd think. I'm talking to her about the Lord and her need for the Lord and blah, blah, blah. And so I said to her, I said, so now tell me, where do you go to church? And she's like, well, I don't, I don't go to church. And I said, okay. And I don't know her, right? So I can, I can just say what I think, which I do to most people anyway. But I just said this. I was like, okay, can I tell you something? You need the church. You need it. So I don't know if I want to go. Like, stop. Say, so here's your problem right now. You are in too small of a world. And so when you get to the point where you're like, I'm desperately in need, who loves you? Who cares for you? Who knows your story? Nobody. 
And so then when you show up at some place, I'm desperately in need, somebody help me. Who's gonna bend over backwards to help you? Nobody knows you. It's like, that's the gift of the church. When you come into the community of Christ and people get to know you, they get to hear your story. And then one day you show up to these people with whom you've developed a relationship and you say, I'm struggling. Suddenly all of these ears and heads turn towards you and say, oh, what's going on? How can we help you? Oh, you know what? I've got a resource. I've got a connection. I can show it. You're like all these things. But when you pull yourself out of that community that God offers, I mean, do you realize what a gift the church is to you? I mean, it's a beautiful thing where God brought us together. And I know church is messy because you're a mess and I'm a mess and you bring that together and we make our own messes, right? And so it's just a part of how relationships work. But if we'll fight through that, there's a, a beautiful love that the Spirit of God offers to his people. And so we want to bring people into that thing that God's created, a better version than maybe they've anticipated. Uh, and then he says this in verse 20. And then we want to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So two commands here. One is we need to learn, we need to study everything he's commanded us, which means then we need to be great students of Scripture. Uh, we need to devote ourselves to the study of his word. Uh, and then with this idea, too, that as we go out to complete this mission that he's called us to, he's going to be with us every step of the way. And that's something I keep in my mind. When I go to talk to people, and I... <laughs> I talk to people a lot about Jesus, and, and there'll be times when, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't even want to talk to people sometimes. I feel obligated. Like, I feel like I need to say something about Jesus, and I don't want to, but I need to, because uh, I want to be a part of what God's doing in this world. And I just remember this. It's like Jesus in my ear going, I got you. I got you. And like, it's not, it doesn't mean it's going to turn out like you hope. Like, hey, you need Jesus. I didn't know that. They dropped to their knees. God, I, you know, like it doesn't it doesn't do that a lot of times. In fact, some people don't even like me talking to them. And uh, sometimes that's my own family, but that's another story. And this whole thing is Jesus is with us. He's got us in this. Okay, so then here's my question. What is then our next chapter of this never-ending story? What is our next chapter? Now, let me take you to Romans 10 uh, to remind you of something that, that Paul said. Uh, Romans chapter 10, we see this. Romans 10, verse 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so this idea is then that there's a group of us, group of us that are sent to go and share this good news. So that's what we do. Now, as you're thinking about this, you might think, well, it, this is it's hard to do, right? It's hard to cross that line to talk to people who are just wired so different, so far from God, to talk to them about their need for Jesus. And, and then you might be thinking, and, you know, I don't really have a Bible college degree. I don't have a seminary degree. Like, you do realize that the proclamation was not to those who've uh, achieved degrees, Right? That was not, it's to everybody. You just have to know Jesus. You have to know his word. You got to be filled with the spirit. You got those things going on. You can talk to anybody. Now, I would say this. If you're thinking, well, I'm thinking about vocational ministry. I'm thinking about, I might do this for a career. Oh, in that case, certainly go to Bible college or seminary. Like I highly, I'm not against it. I highly recommend it. I did a lot of seminary. Um, but I, and I would encourage you to do that. And we've got one here in town, Columbia International University. It's a great school. You can do online classes. You can go there. Um, I'm not paid for this advertisement, um, but that would be nice. Um, but yeah, I encourage you to go there. But the thing is, you just, you just got to go. So then, how can we go? Here's some things, just as you go to share the good news of Jesus with people, here's some things I want to give you just as easy ways to do this. One is just share your story. Nobody can argue with your story, right? And so you get to a moment where the conversation goes a little bit deeper. That's what you're shooting for, just a little bit deeper. And you're just praying, Lord, please take the conversation one more step, a little bit deeper, and just share your story. 
hey, listen, I'm hearing you talk right now, and I'm hearing, I'm hearing about a spiritual need going on in your life. Can I tell you what God's done for me? And you tell them about this point where you came and you heard this knowledge about, you know, Jesus died for you and you realized how sinful you were and that if you died in this state, you'd be separated from God forever. But God in his mercy sent his son and now through his son, those who put their faith in this Jesus who died, taking the consequence of our sin on the cross, rose from the dead, proving he'd settled that debt. Now, if you put your faith in him, you can find forgiveness in this world and forever, stepping into paradise at the end of life. Like that, that is a promise that can be on all of our lips and you can share that story very easily with anyone. Um, but if you're like, I don't know about that all. Okay, let me dial it back. I'm gonna make it even easier. Something very simple you can do is invite someone to church. Now, let's be honest. Inviting somebody to church isn't the same as sharing the gospel, but it's a great start, you know, because you could be like, I don't know if I can share the gospel, but I bet if I get them to Sand Hills, they'll hear it. So <laughs> you can bring them here. So that's why we put those little cards in the seat back in front of you. You got these little cards sitting there, little business card size. You can take those, put those in your pocketbook, put those in your wallet, and then, uh, and I'm just trusting they're there right now because I did not check, but I think they're there. Uh, you can take some of those, and then the idea, though, it, let's couple it, though, with a good deed. So help somebody in the community. Buy the coffee of somebody in the community or lunch or help somebody carry something heavy to their car, whatever it is. Help change their tire. Don't be a creeper, but, you know, if you can connect to the people around you, it's a good thing. Uh, give them a card and invite them to church. I think that's something else you can do. Um, let me tell you a couple of quick stories um, because these were really neat and encouraging to me even as I was preparing this message. So one is there's a family in our congregation that got interviewed for a local magazine uh, that's put out here in Columbia. And uh, I read the interview because I saw the picture on the front of the magazine. They were on the, the cover. They were the cover of family. Um, and so I was reading through this. I see their picture on there. We open it up. And the whole time in the interview, they're talking about the Lord. They're talking about what God has done for them. And, um, and they mentioned Bible verses, and uh, they mentioned their amazing church that they go to. And they didn't call it amazing. I know it was implied. Um, and they, they were just, and it was just so neat to me how tangible it was. And so we talked to them afterwards. They're like, hey, I read your article. It's amazing. And they're like, we talked about Jesus so much. Like, we knew that if we put a lot of that they would put something in there. And so they're like, that's only a portion of what we really said. And I thought, well, how creative of that. You're like, you're about to be interviewed. You're like, okay, how can I work Jesus into this? So I got this other one. A friend of mine uh, is a, a high-ranking um, uh, like leader at a university in Tennessee. And it's a historical, historically Christian university that is no longer Christian at all. <laughs> it's, it's only Christian in name. Uh, it's very not otherwise. So he's there. And, uh, but they do this intro class. And a part of this intro class that all students have to take is their, the history of their university and its, its Christian beginnings. And since my friend, who used to go here before he got this job up there, loves Jesus, they're like, hey, you're really into Christian stuff, right? Do you want to teach our intro class? And he was like, what do I, what do I teach in the intro? What, what do you want me to teach in the intro class? And they're like, well, teach about the Jesus stuff. And he's like, you want me to teach about Jesus to all the students that are coming in? They're like, yeah, do that. He's like, I'll do that. And so he tells me every semester which is hundreds of kids a year, he shares the gospel. He takes them line by line through scripture, introduces them to what Jesus has done, calls on them to respond, connects them to university ministries. Like that's his part of his job at the university. So here's what's really cool about this, and this is why I loved it. So I was talking to him recently. He's being pursued um, by a huge university here in the U.S. If I said, I, actually, if I said both of them, you probably know both of them. For sure, you'd know the second one. And they're offering him, and I'm like, when I say a pay raise, I mean a big pay raise. And, uh, and he told me, they're pursuing him right now. So he's, in the, he's not finalized yet, um, but they're interviewing him. And he said, you know, we've been praying about this. And he's like, I've just decided I'm not going to go. I was like, really? He said, yeah, the only thing they're offering me is money. 
but here I have ministry. I was like, man, talk about somebody that gets it. It gets it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, as I think about um, what you've called us to here, and I, I do know, it takes some creativity. We have to figure out how to cleverly communicate Christ, especially in this culture, uh, which seems to me to be getting further and further uh, from the Lord. Lord, as we interact with uh, friends and family and on social media um, and in our schools, uh, at our workplaces, Lord, please give us the creativity we need to introduce people to the one that they desperately need our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified and may we fulfill this great commission in your holy name, amen.